Amen. Turn your Bibles this morning to Proverbs 24. Proverbs 24. I came across this first, believe it or not. Um, of course, we read the Proverbs often, but um, I was struck again by these verses when I was reading through it on, for Wednesday. Uh, you know, we read the Proverbs, and we came to Proverbs 24. It's been a few weeks, obviously. We're, we're getting ready to do Proverbs 28 now. But, um, boy, these verses just, just would not leave my mind. Uh, Proverbs chapter 24 and verse number 11 says this, If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death, and those that are ready to be slain, if thou sayest, Behold, we knew it not, doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? And he that keepeth thy soul, doth not he know it? And shall not he render to every man according to his works? you ever done something to somebody that got the response, how could you, right? Usually it's said by a, uh, a, a woman to her husband uh, that's just done the unthinkable, whatever that may be. Sometimes it's done in jest after he plays a practical joke on her. How could you do that to me, you know? Or sometimes it's said in all seriousness, you know? How could you do that to me? Um, I think concentrated down to its rawest form, I believe that's what Proverbs 24 11 and 12 is asking us. We have the truth of the gospel, and we have the answer that so many people are looking for, and yet so many of us here in this room have never and maybe will never win a soul for Jesus Christ. Maybe this will shock you, but only one person, this is some statistics that were done by a church group, but only one person is reached for Christ in every 85 church members. One person for every 85 church members is one to Jesus Christ. That's a shocking thing. That means out of a church of 85 people, on average, one person will be one to Christ. Uh, what a responsibility we have before God. Yet a, a lot of people, a lot of Christians will go through their lives as a Christian without the slightest burden for another lost soul. Sad that we can get into that point and into that position after what Christ has done for us, but so many people will live their lives working, trying to make themselves happy, you know, even going to church, but they ignore that responsibility to win souls for Jesus Christ. The question that I have for you this morning is simply this, how could you? How could you? How could you see the millions of people walking around you every day knowing that many of them are on their way to hell without Jesus Christ? knowing that if they die in the condition that they're in, they will spend an eternity in hell. How could you put a price, put, put the price of pleasure above the price of a soul? How could you forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death and those that are ready to be slain? I believe that's what that proverb is asking the question of us this morning. How could you? We're quick to make excuses for why we can't. In fact, turn over to Ezekiel chapter 33. You know, I'm too shy or I don't know what to say, or they don't want to hear it anyway. We have all the excuses, but according to Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 12, we're without excuse. He says, if thou sayest, behold, we knew it not, excuse. Doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it, and he that keepeth the soul, doth not he know it? And shall not he render to every man according to his works? God knows what's in your heart, and he's going to render to every man according to his works. Uh, that's a scary thought. If, if God rendered to you, according to your work in winning souls, to this point in your life, what would your reward be? Would it be a reward or would it be a punishment? Look at Ezekiel chapter 33, 
Of course, God comes to Ezekiel and tells him that he's going to set him up as a watchman. Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse number 3, it says this, If when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He's talking to Ezekiel as a watchman. And he's, he's using this idea of a watchman standing on the wall. And this man, this watchman, sees an army coming, and they're, they, you know, they're coming with, with full battle gear, and they got their swords and their, their shields and everything else. And, and he blows the trumpet, and he says, Hey, these, there's an army coming. Get ready. And they don't get ready. They don't pay attention to it, and they're slain by the sword. Well, he says their blood is on their own head. That's their own fault for not heeding the warning. But, verse number 6 but if the watchmen see the sword come and blow not the trumpet and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he has taken away in his own iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman to the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. What a job we have. You know what he's saying here? He said, I'm telling you that people are going to die and they're going to spend an eternity in hell. Go tell them. Go warn them that that's coming. And if you go and you warn them and they don't heed the warning, well, that's their fault. Oh, certainly we want them to heed that warning. But if they don't, at least you've done your job in giving them that warning. But, but if you know that they're going to spend an eternity in hell if they reject Jesus Christ, and you know what's going to happen to them when the judgment day comes. And you say nothing, and they die, and they go to a Christless hell. Their blood will I require at your hand. Could you imagine that? I don't know if it's going to be literal or if that's just a picture, but could you imagine how much blood will be dripping from our hands from the people that we had an opportunity to tell how to be saved and never did it? I shudder to think of, of the opportunities that, that I've had that I passed up for one reason or another. And they may not even remember that person, may not remember who they are. But someday, if they don't accept Jesus Christ, their blood's going to be required at my hand. What a job. We've not been told to save them. We've been told to tell them. I can't make somebody get saved, but I can tell them how. To warn them of what's coming if they reject Christ. How can you bear to let them go to a Christless hell? A man dreamed that he was swept into heaven. And oh, he was so delighted to think that he had finally gotten there. It wasn't there long before one came to him and said, Come, I want to show you something. And he took him over to the battlements and said, Look down yonder. What do you see? The man said, Well, I see a very dark world. And he said, look, and, and see if you know. And he said, why, yes, that's, that's the world that I just came from. And he said, and, and what do you see? He said, men are blindfolded, and, and, and many of them are going over a precipice. And the one in heaven said, well, will you stay here and enjoy heaven? 
Well, you go back to earth and spend a little longer time warning those men of the danger that they're in. And this man that had had the dream, he was a Christian who had been discouraged, and he woke from his sleep, and later on he said, I've never wished myself to be dead since. I have such a responsibility, I have such a job to warn those who are blindfolded in their sin, walking over the precipice into hell. So this morning, what I want to share with you for just a few minutes is how we can be a better witness for Jesus Christ, how we can take our responsibility to warn others of the danger that they're in. Let's pray, and we'll look at that this morning. Father, we love you. I thank you for saving me. God, how selfish it would be of me if I kept that salvation to myself. If I had the answers that people are looking for, and I didn't give it to them. So God, I pray that you'd help us this morning as we sit through this message, through the verses that we're going to look at, through the ideas that you've laid on my heart, God, to help us be a better witness for you. And I pray that you'd help us to walk out of this room this morning excited about telling others about Jesus Christ. Pray that you'd speak to our hearts this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing is this. We need to pray in faith for souls. Pray in faith for souls. We can do our job telling the lost about Christ, but only Christ can do that work in their hearts. You know, um, we have that responsibility to tell others, and I can't make somebody get saved. If I could make somebody get saved, I, I think the whole world would be Christians already. You know, we would all make people get saved. We can't do that. But just because we can't make them get saved doesn't mean we can't tell them and tell them again and tell them again and tell them again until they get saved. But I'll tell you what, the Holy Spirit has to do that work in their hearts. We talk about cults. We talk about the ideas of, of, of other religions and things like that. Nitin and I were talking about that this morning when we were coming in. Uh, what happens with a lot of these religions that are not, that, that, that are not preaching the gospel the way that the Bible preaches the gospel is that the Holy Spirit is working on their hearts. And they may not know why they have that feeling. They may not, they, you know, they might feel fulfilled in, in certain aspects of their religion. But they know that something is missing, and what's missing is that, that is Jesus Christ. And that's the Holy Spirit convicting them of their need for Him. That's what that empty feeling is, and that's what the Holy Spirit is going to do in the, in the soul of someone that's not saved. He's going to convict them of their need for Him. Dr. Paul Brand, he's a, a missionary, was uh, speaking to a medical college in India on Matthew 5.16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And while he was preaching on that passage, there, you know, in front of the lectern there was an oil lamp. It had a little cotton wick in the front of it. Uh, it was burning from a, just a little shallow dish of oil that was sitting there. And as he preached, that lamp ran out of oil. And the wick itself caught on fire and, and burned up. And a light went out. The smoke made him cough, and, and, and he, immediately he used that opportunity. He said this, some of us here are like this wick. We're trying to shine for the glory of God, but we stink. That's what happens when we use ourselves as the fuel of our witness rather than the Holy Spirit. Wicks can last indefinitely, burning brightly and without irritating smoke if the fuel, the Holy Spirit, is in constant supply. Boy, and that's exactly the way that it is in our lives. People, perhaps one of the reasons we don't see souls saved is because we're trying to win them in our own strength. 
We rely on the strength of our arguments, or we rely on, the, on the, you know, our personalities to try to win them over to Jesus Christ. That's not how we're going to see souls won for Jesus Christ. The way that we're going to see souls won for Jesus Christ is when the Holy Spirit convicts them in their heart. Just give them the Bible. Amen. Show them what the Bible says. We have to be praying for souls, begging in faith for souls. It was that great prayer warrior, John Hyde, who said, God, give me souls or I die. In other words, what he's saying is, God, it's not even worth living if you're not going to give me souls for Jesus Christ. But God has to be the one that does it. God has to give us those souls. We have to beg him to save those souls. And we're not going to take the time to, to look at the passage this morning, but in Genesis chapter 19, Abraham, uh, with the story of Lot, Abraham begged God to save Sodom and Gomorrah. And God would have saved Sodom and Gomorrah. He was looking for a certain number of righteous, and obviously they weren't there, but God was willing God was willing to give Abraham, Sodom, and Gomorrah. Are you begging God to save your family? Are you begging God to save your friends? Are you begging God to save your coworkers? Are you begging God to put people in your path that you can, that you can give the gospel to? That's what we ought to be doing. That's the first step. We must pray in faith for souls. But secondly, we must preach in power. Turn over to Isaiah 55. One of the greatest privileges is that we get to represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Well, you think about a, a diplomat who gets to go to another country and represent the United States of America, represent the President of the United States. That's a great responsibility. That's a great privilege to be able to go over and represent America. They do it with, at the Olympics as well. And of course, you know, uh, the American athletes that go over there are so proud to represent the United States of America. It's a great privilege. It's a great honor to be able to do that. But you think about the privilege and the honor that we have as Christians, that we get to represent Jesus Christ to the rest of the world. That's a great privilege, but it's also a great responsibility. Just give them Jesus. We need to preach to them in power. Preaching does not mean that you have to get up on a Sunday morning and, and talk for 30 minutes and, and have everything and you know, three points and a poem and all of this stuff. Preaching is just telling somebody else how they can be saved. That's what preaching the gospel is all about. Amen. Isaiah 55 and verse 11 says this, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to someone's heart, let the word of God do the work. The Bible says that his word will not return unto him void. If the Holy Spirit can't convict the soul of its need for him, then how do you think you're going to do it? Amen. Amen. We're not going to do something that the Holy Spirit cannot do. Now, God can use us as vessels, and that's exactly what the point is that I'm trying to get across this morning. God can use us to share the gospel, but the Holy Spirit has to be the one that does that work in their hearts. We need to preach it. We need to share it with others. We have to ask God for his power as we witness. Ask him for wisdom to the questions that might come up. Ask him for the boldness to share the gospel. But make no mistake, they will not hear the gospel if we don't tell them. If we don't share the gospel with them, they're never going to hear it. How many times... In the house that you're in right now, has somebody come by your house and tried to give you the gospel? Ever? Has anybody ever come by your house? I mean, the Mormons have probably been by. 
Jehovah's Witnesses have probably been by. Has someone ever come by from a Baptist church or from a church that is preaching the gospel and tried to share the gospel with you? They've never been by my house. Think about how they're going to hear the gospel if you don't share it with them. A lot of these people are unchurched. They're not just going to walk in through the doors of a church because they see it sitting there and decide they want to go. Sometimes that happens, but most of the time they're only going to come because you invited them or because you shared the gospel with them. Most people will never hear unless we tell them. I'm not letting you off the hook from sharing the gospel with your mouth, but you also share the gospel with your life. A young salesman was disappointed about losing a big sale. And so he went to his sales manager and they were talking about this. And he said, I guess it just proves that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And his sales manager looked at him and he said, your job is not to make him drink. Your job is to make him thirsty. Boy, that's exactly the way that it is when it comes to the gospel. I cannot make a person get saved, but I have to make them want to get saved so bad that they can do nothing but accept Jesus Christ as their savior. People are watching you to see how you act as a Christian. They're observing your life to see what's different about you than about everybody else. If you claim to be a Christian especially, they're looking at you. What's different about you? What, what, what do you have that I don't have already? They need to see Jesus being preached by the way that you live. We haven't completely finished remodeling our house yet. I'm working on that, but we, we haven't put this back up yet. But in our old house, we had a plaque that was above the door that said this. Live in such a way that those who know you but don't know Christ will come to know Christ because they know you. Live in such a way that those who know you but don't know Christ will come to know Christ because they know you. Are you living your life in that way? Do you know that you might be the only Bible that somebody, some people ever read? They may never pick up a Bible and start flipping through it and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They may never come across the gospel because they read it in the Bible. But you are the gospel. You are a living testimony of what the gospel is all about. Are you living as a Christian? Is your life leading people to Jesus Christ? We must pray in faith for souls. We must preach in power to souls. And lastly, we must plead in love to souls. Our job is to tell them. Oh, got that done. I handed a track to him. That's it. He's got the gospel in his hands now. It's his responsibility to accept Christ as their Savior. No. Yes, we need to preach the gospel to them, but that's not the end of our responsibility. We don't dust, the, you know, dust our hands off and walk away and say, well, that's it. Now it's up to them. Now it's up to the Holy Spirit to do the work. I've talked to him about it. I told him about it. No, we must plead in love for those souls. There was a, uh, uh, one Sunday, a lady was inviting children to come to Sunday school. She met a little boy who was actually walking past the, the church there, and, and he told her what church he was going to. And, of course, this was a while ago. People don't walk to church anymore. But he was, he was walking past the church building, and she was inviting these kids that were coming. And, and, and she said, well, why do you walk past all of these other Sunday schools when you have some that are so much closer to you? And the little boy looked up at her, and he said, because they love a fellow over there. And that's exactly the way that it is. You know, how, how easy is it to reach people through love? Those who are successful in showing people love will be successful in winning them to Jesus Christ. 
That's how, we're gonna, that's how we're going to win people for Jesus Christ. We need to show them the love of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't mean that we excuse what they're doing. It doesn't mean that we, uh, that we approve of the way that they're living, but it means that we ought to love them. It means that we ought to show compassion on them. It means that we ought to let them know that we care about their soul and that we want to see them go to heaven when they die. We saw what God said to Ezekiel, go and warn them of the destruction that they're facing. We know what's coming. We ought to never be mean or ugly when we're sharing the gospel with someone. The whole point is to warn them of the punishment that's coming. A, 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 a watchman that's standing up on the wall saying, hey, get ready, the enemy's coming. You're about to get destroyed. Get your armor on. Right? That's not being mean. That's, that's showing love. Because if he didn't care about those people, you know what he would do? Eh, whatever. They'll figure out soon enough that the enemy's coming. Then the enemy busts through the gates, and the next thing you know, they're standing there unprepared. You know what's going to happen to souls that don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior? You know what's going to happen to the souls that we don't love enough to tell them about Jesus Christ? Eh? They'll find out sooner or later, and one day they're going to they're die, and they're going to be standing before God. Nobody ever told me. Nobody ever told me this was coming. No, they'll find out sooner or later. No, the way that we show our love for people is by sharing with them the message of the gospel. We certainly should hate the sin, but we absolutely must love the sinner. Turn over to Romans chapter 1. Loving, hating the sin and loving the sinner, that's what will make us plead with them to turn to Christ. That's what will make us bring it up over and over when we have the opportunity. That's what will that's make us unashamed of the gospel of Christ. You know, we use that as an excuse so often. Well, I've already talked to him about it before. He's going to get to the point where he thinks all I'm doing is just trying to drive it down his throat. No, you know what it is? You're ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's, it's couched in the excuse of, well, I've already told them over and over and over. Now they, they have to make a decision or I'm waiting for them to bring it back up to me. No, you're ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you, if, if you knew that somebody was dying with some kind of disease that you had a cure for, uh, let's say that, that, that your mother was dying with some disease and you had a friend over here that had taken this medicine and it worked perfectly to cure that disease. You know what you're going to tell your mother over and over and over? It worked for him. Just try it. Just take it. Take this medicine. Here, I'll go get it for you. I'll bring it to you. I'll do whatever I have to do to give you this medicine. I want you to live. You wouldn't, well, I've already told her about it. I don't want her to feel like I'm just trying to push this medicine down her throat, right? You wouldn't say that to somebody who is in physical pain. Why, why do we do it when it comes to the gospel? We need to tell them over and over and over, buddy, you're going to die and you're going to spend an eternity in hell if you don't accept Jesus Christ. You've already told me that before. I know, and it's just as important today as it was the first time I told you. We don't have to be rude. We don't have to be ugly about it. We don't have to get to the point where people walk the other way when they see us coming, but they ought to know that we care about their souls. They ought to know that they're going to hear how to get to heaven by talking to us. That's what Paul's point was in Romans, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You can make all the excuses that you want, but it's hard to say that you love somebody if you're not going to tell them how they can escape hell. It's hard to say that you love your family if you've never told them how they can be saved. It's hard to say that you love people if you're not seeking to lead them to Jesus Christ. It's hard to believe 
that you really love someone that you're just going to let walk over the precipice into hell. A Dutch diamond collector was looking for a, a very rare diamond, and a dealer in New York City by the name of Mr. Winston heard about this man that was looking for this diamond, and so he contacted him. He said, hey, I think I have what, you, what you're looking for. Why don't you come to New York City, and uh, let me show you this diamond. So this man agreed, and he came to New York City, and uh, Mr. Winston had his salesman present the diamond to this guy. And the salesman described all the technical aspects of the diamond, but within just a couple minutes, the, that diamond collector stood to his feet, and he said, that's just not what I'm looking for. And he walked out of the store, and, and of course, Mr. Winston had been watching from a distance, and he ran out, and, and he, 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 he intercepted him as he was walking down the street. He said, let me, let me just show you this diamond one more time. And so the collector agreed, and Mr. Winston brought him back into the shop, and he pulled out the same diamond, and he started describing the, his admiration for this particular diamond. And within a couple minutes, they were signing the papers that this man had purchased this diamond. And as the gentleman was getting ready to walk out, he, he asked, what just happened? You just showed me the exact same diamond that that other salesman just showed me, and, and yet now here I'm signing the papers buying this diamond where before I, I had no interest in it. Mr. Winston looked at that man and he said, that salesman's the best in the business. He knows more about diamonds than, than anybody I've ever come across. That's why I hired him. That's why I pay him so much to do what he does. But I would gladly pay him twice as much if I could put something that I have into him. He said, you see, he knows diamonds, but I love them. And that's exactly true when it comes to soul winning. A lot of Christians have a lot of Bible knowledge. They know how to tell somebody how to be saved. They know what happened to them when they got saved, and they can share that with somebody else, but Others may not have as much knowledge of the Bible, but they love Christ so much that they're willing to share him with other people. And it's hard for me to believe that you love Jesus Christ if you're not going to tell somebody else about him. You can say all you want to that you love him. You can say all you want to that you love your family. You can say all you want to that you love souls. But until you actually go out and tell people about Jesus Christ, you don't really love him. Until you really go out and talk to those people that you say you love, you don't really love them because you know what's happening. You know what's coming if they don't accept Jesus Christ. You cannot say that you love them if you know what's coming and you're not going to warn them of the danger that they're going to face in just a few short years or days or months that they might have left. You don't know when they're going to die. Well, somebody will tell them. I don't, I don't want them to, to feel like I'm trying to put a lot of pressure on them or anything like that. But if we don't warn them, then who's going to? I'm not trying to play on your emotions this morning. I'm just trying to help you realize the importance and the urgency of telling other people about Jesus Christ. If you were a gifted evangelist with an international reputation, there are, there are 7.28 billion people in the world as of this morning. If you were able to go out and preach internationally, every night, and you're able to see a thousand people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior every single night, you know how long it would take you to win the entire world for Jesus Christ? Seven million years. 
Now, if every single Christian alive today, well, let's forget every single Christian. Let's take one Christian. Let's take you. If you went out and won one soul for Jesus Christ and taught that person how to win a soul for Jesus Christ, and then the both of you went out the next year and won another soul for Jesus Christ and taught them how to win a soul, and the four of you went out the next year and won a soul for Jesus Christ, one soul a year, one, you know how long it would take to win the world for Jesus Christ, assuming that nobody right now is a Christian? 28 years. 28 years. The entire world would be one for Christ if Christians would take that responsibility of telling other people about Jesus Christ and see one person a year, one for Jesus Christ. Doesn't sound like a big job, does it? Do you know what that means? It means a lot of us are failing in our responsibility tell people about Jesus Christ. Could you imagine if everybody in this room went out and won one person for Jesus Christ in the next year? And we doubled our size. And then all of those people within the next year went out and won one person for Jesus Christ. In two years, this building wouldn't even be big enough to fit all of us. In two years. That's winning one soul for Jesus Christ. What a great responsibility we have. It can be done. We can see souls saved, even in this wicked world. How could you just let them go? How could you bear to see those that you say you love heading towards an eternity without Jesus Christ and never telling them? We have to pray in faith for souls. We have to preach in power to those souls. We have to plead in love to souls. Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 11. If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death, and those that are ready to be slain, if thou sayest, behold, we knew it not, doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? And he that keepeth thy soul, doth not he know it? And shall not he render to every man according to his works? Will you pray with me that God will use you to win more souls for Jesus Christ? Will you pray that you won't pass up opportunities to share the gospel? Someday God's going to render to every man according to his works. Are you going to be the watchman that sat up on the top of the wall, feet kicked up, all the pleasure that you can imagine around you, enjoying that little spot that you have on the wall? Or are you going to be a watchman that stands up and says, hey, danger is coming. Danger is coming. Be ready. Accept Jesus Christ before it's too late. Because we all have that choice. We can use all the excuses, or we can go out and be a witness. How could you, how could you just let them go? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for dying on the cross.
Thank you for offering us salvation. I thank you for saving me. And I'm sure that would be the prayer of just about everybody, if not everybody in this room this morning. I do pray that if there is somebody that doesn't know you as their Savior, that they'd get that taken care of first. But for those of us who do, I pray that you'd help us to be the witness that you want us to be. I pray that you'd help us to have the boldness that we need to share the message of the gospel with others. Oh, what a responsibility we have. But what a privilege to represent Jesus Christ on this earth. If you would stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning. I think this is one of those messages that is like prayer. We never feel like we pray enough. It's like holiness. We never feel like we're holy enough. And I, I know that most of us feel like we never witness enough. So maybe God spoke to your heart in a way this morning that you say, you know what? I'm going to do something about it. I know this person and this person and this person that God was putting on my heart and on my mind through the message this morning, and I'm going to go tell them. God's spoken to your heart this morning. You can come. As the piano plays, the invitation is open.